welcome to Cavalier Central, bringing you everything you need to know about the wine and gold. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Cavalier Central. Be sure to check out these other NBA pods on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Knock a Few Buck, 305 Culture, Spanning the Spurs, Hashtag Lakers, Blazing the Path, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, and At the Buzzer. Plus, our coaching-focused podcasts, Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, and The Green Light. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, The Hoopheads podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Hey, Hoopheads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com. Spelled A-R-Y-S. E, and use the code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off the future of performance. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com with promo code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off. Hello everyone and welcome to a crossover episode between Cavalier Central, hosted by Justin Matcham, and Nuck If You Buck, hosted by me, Devin Zanskis as always. How's it going, Justin? I am doing very well. How are you doing, Devin? Pretty good, pretty good. I'm glad to be joining you again, um, not just on Nuck a Few Buck, but here on the crossover. So, also greetings to all the Cavalier Central listeners out there. Uh, this is, of course, brought to you by the Hoop Heads Podcast Network, as always. You can find our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, I'm sure you more than likely can find a team podcast for a team that you're uh particularly focused on or just uh, uh, hear about the NBA in general if uh, you don't really uh, focus too heavily on teams. Nonetheless, uh, we are, of course, focused on the back-to-back games at the Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse um, between the Cavaliers and the Bucks this past Friday and Saturday. So we're going to get into that right now. The first uh, game here. Friday. It was the beginning of a five-game road trip for the Bucks. Um, Bucks. The Bucks had their usual uh, suspects out there starting, uh, but the Cavs uh, obviously had a little bit of an injury report there. Uh, they had Garland, Sexton, Coro, Prince, and Drummond out there starting. You guys are obviously missing uh, Kevin Love. Um, and Larry Nance Jr. Um, so I think Larry Nance would be your guys' typical nominal four spot starter. Would that be uh, correct, Justin? Yeah, that would be correct in the usual case. Uh, in this first game, uh, yeah, 
Torian Prince was a starter at power forward. Larry Nance has been out with a wrist injury these past few games. He's been kind of in and out of the lineup with this wrist, and you could tell in the times that he was in there that he wasn't always fully healthy. Uh, And in the second game that they played here, um, he did end up coming back. And uh, in the first quarter, he ended up playing 23 minutes as a whole throughout the game. But in that first quarter, uh, broke his wrist. Or not, not his wrist, not his wrist, his finger. Fractured his finger and is now out four to six more weeks. So, yeah, with, with Kevin Love still out right now, um, the latest we've heard on him is that, you know, he's still progressing into individual workouts, but the Cavaliers aren't going to rush him back. Uh, the Cavaliers have a West Road trip coming up here. I don't expect him to be back for that trip. We'll see what happens after that. But right now, Tarian Prince is the regular starter in this lineup uh, at the power forward spot, along with Garland Sexton, Drummond, and Isaac Okoro. Um, and just kind of a recap of these games here real quick. Uh, the Cavs lost both of these games, were swept in this little mini series at home against the Bucks. The Bucks won the first game 123 to 105. Bucks won the second game as well, 124 to 99. Cavs are now 10 and 14. Bucks are now 15 and 8. Devin, looking at just these two games in general, um, looking, I guess we can start on it from a Bucks perspective. Um, these about it seems like the Bucks are a team that is rolling right now. Uh, it, it seems like, I, from my perspective, the Cavaliers played a couple of solid games. I didn't expect them to win either of these. I thought that honestly, that might be a little bit worse than it was. I was just happy to see the Cavaliers competing uh, for the majority of these games. It seems like in both of them, the guy they kind of got away from the Cavs in the fourth quarter there. But just how would you rate the the Bucks' performance in these two games as compared to how they've been playing recently and just the season as a whole? I mean, I think this is about as much as you can ask from from the Bucks. Um, obviously, that first game we got out to kind of a slow start. There, this was the first victory we had where we were uh, losing at the end of the first quarter, and it was also the first victory that um, that we had after what was it? I think making uh, ten or less threes. So it's kind of encouraging to actually see the Bucks come back from adversity. A bit there, maybe a little backwards logic, but um, but still to to be able to pull out wins in a variety of fashion is something that the Bucks are particularly focused on, especially going into this postseason. And then uh, also last week we had kind of had uh, a bit of a road bump there against some some uh, some lesser excuse me lesser opponents, um, not just in the Eastern Conference and the Hornets, but also we. We dug ourselves a couple pretty big deficits against both the Hornets and the Pelicans, which were both games that Bucks would typically expect to take home. Um, but of course, we ended up with two losses there that I would have expected to win at least one of those two. Uh, so yeah, kind of in contrast to last week, I was really happy to have the Bucks win not one but both of these uh, back-to-back games away from home. Just looking at the Bucks' two performances here um, in both of these games, and obviously, I mean, he's been kind of a, a shot of energy for this Bucks team. But even in the first game that we played against them earlier in the season, Bobby Portis is one guy that has really stood out to me as someone that the Cavaliers have kind of struggled to contain. Uh, in the first game, went 7 for 14 from the field, played 23 minutes, 23 and a half minutes, uh, put up 14 and 6. Uh, and the second game came in and didn't shoot as effectively from the field. Did, I believe, j- just made one shot. That's right. But did come in and, you know, grab eight boards. Um, had four fouls in the second game. I think that's just kind of the way that Bobby Portis plays. 
at least in my eyes, is he's just somebody who is not always going to be making his shots, but is always just going to be giving, you know, a, a maximum effort, um, sometimes to a fault. You know, there were some plays where the Bucks were up big late in the game, and it just seemed like, you know, he's still, you know, fighting for every loose ball, even when, or, or not even loose ball, but just, you know, fouling guys kind of just reaching in, trying to get the ball away. It just seems to me like that's just kind of the way that he plays. But um, overall, like, that's somebody who I think has stood out on the Bucks this, this season, at least in my eyes. And especially on a team, and he's not a great rim protector, uh, which hurts them. But I think between having guys like like Giannis and Brooke Lopez, um, you can kind of make up for that. But um, would you agree that, that Bobby Portis has really just kind of been, uh, in my eyes, unexpected, like, serious spark for this team this year? Yeah, um, emphasis on on a surprise for sure. I know Nuck If You Buck listeners would definitely remember that I wasn't particularly excited about this signing, especially because a lot of, like, Buck's Twitter and NBA Twitter kind of saw him as playing like more of the four spot, which he had most of his career. And like, so I don't blame them for thinking that, but, um, you know, in the space that, that we want to create around Giannis, I was a little uh, skeptical about having him in as like our second big, so to speak. But I mean, obviously he's proven me wrong and he's proven that he can knock down uh, threes at, I don't. I don't actually know his percentages off the top of my head, but but I definitely um, feel comfortable when he ends up being the last person with the ball when it swings around the horn. He puts up a three, and also um, he seems to be our best option off the bench. Oftentimes, to just dump it off to someone to like go get a bucket for himself, which is also something I definitely did not expect. And but you know, even even though he's able to take advantage of situations where I you know I still like Bobby Portis just ISO isn't the way I want a possession and he still is able to fit in as like a you know as a respectable cog in the machine and just like like you said running the floor super hard boxing out trying to get uh, rebounds and extra possessions so I'm incredibly happy with what we've gotten from Bobby and I definitely would have predicted that he's basically our most important option off of the bench this year. I would agree with that, at least as far as what we've seen so far. Uh, kind of shifting over to the Cavaliers here, uh, looking at the Cavaliers' backup center, Jared Allen, uh, who's been starting urban, coming off the bench behind um, Andre Drummond, obviously. That first game had 13 points, four rebounds, three assists. Uh, and the second game had only two points, uh, but a, you know, seven rebounds, uh, a block. I'm interested to hear what you have to say, Devin, just about that whole trade, and in, in, I guess from a Cavs perspective, but the whole, you know, what the Cavaliers got out of that deal, um, how you thought that, um, or how you thought up to this point, at least in the games that you've watched the Cavaliers play, what it means for a team like the Cavs to get Jared Allen and, you know, Tarian Prince, who I think is also impressed for this team. What have you thought about the play of them in the games that you've seen them here for the Cavaliers? Yeah, so I've really only seen... I've really only seen the two games against the Bucks here, but still in those, like Jared Allen still seems to be the Jared Allen of old where where if he gets near the rim and your guys your guys underneath the basket, you get pretty scared on their behalf that he's just gonna he's just gonna slam it on home against them, but also you know that on the other end of the court that 
that if he's the one defending them in the post, um, that like he has a pretty he has a pretty good chance at, at contesting their shot. Um, I mean, he's in Brooklyn. He's he was famous for for uh, swatting. I mean, I'm sure. I think memory proves me right here. Like he blocked like LeBron and. In like his first or second year for a huge highlight play. He had play. a block on LeBron. He's blocked Blake Griffin. He's blocked him. Yeah, that's, that's kind of early in his career was known for blocking a lot of star shots. Yeah, and yeah, so I think he's definitely definitely like a starting caliber center. And it also helps that he fits kind of the timeline of Sexton and Garland, which is just as much of a win because... Um, I mean, I would assume you guys maybe aren't super long for Andre Drummond. Um, I think that so that's may- a fair thing to say right at this point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and um, as far as Torian Prince goes, he's had a really interesting M- NBA career where, of course, he was on the Hawks where where he put on some, he put up some pretty stellar numbers for some not really impressive teams. So people weren't really entirely sure what to make of it. And then he goes to a competitive Nets team where... Seems like he's given plenty of opportunity, but wasn't able to take advantage of it as much as others would have hoped. So um, I think this is a good place for for Torian to kind of, I don't know, rebuild his reputation a little bit. And it looks like, um, I don't know, it, it looks like he's, he's doing that pretty well. I mean, he's already trusted to start games in the absence, of course, of Nance and Love. Um, and I was actually kind of interested to see what you thought of Prince already being in a starting role and um, playing a huge part for the Cavs. Obviously, you guys don't have a ton of other choices, but would you have rather uh, maybe seen like a Chetty Osman or like a like a Dylan Windler shifted into the starting lineup instead? I know they're both maybe a little smaller than Prince, but what are your thoughts on Prince as a starter so far? Well, personally, I think... That Torian Prince is the correct answer. You talk about guys like Jetty or uh, or Dylan Windler. I, I think especially against a team like the Bucks in these two games where you know, the Cavs are a team that have run a lot of zone this year. But I think it, it, that's not something that you're going to rely on all the time. And you need somebody in this lineup that can defend Giannis you know, on multiple possessions, not just to switch and hope that the guy can survive. And I do not trust Jetty or Dylan to be that guy right now. Uh, I think Prince was definitely the one that you can trust with that. Uh, Again, I don't think you even want a core on him. I just think that's kind of an overmatch for him. I think for me, it was down to either him or Lamar Stevens. Uh, Lamar is a two-way player for the Cavs who is, you know, came in and I thought provided a little bit of energy in these two games as well. He's been good just as a bigger, stronger wing who can guard some of those, you know, tougher assignments. But yeah, I've been very, very impressed by what Tarian has brought so far to the Cavaliers. And obviously, like you had mentioned, someone who went to the Hawks, you know, straight out of college, or yeah, well, out of college, um, and played really well there. Seemed like, you know, this is a guy who maybe has like a legitimate offensive game. He can really hit from deep. Went to Brooklyn, and that really just kind of fell off completely. And, you know, the shooting numbers were, you know, some of the worst in the league, and it just didn't really seem like he had it. Now he kind of seems to be going back to what he was doing in Brook or in uh, Atlanta here with Cleveland. And in this first game, again, shot four for seven from three, had 12.6 boards, four assists. And the second game shot, I believe, five for nine from the field. Yeah. Um, and that was off the bench. But again, two for three from three, uh, three rebounds. And, you know, some of these shots are contested as well. It's not just catch and shoots that he's limited to. He, he has a little bit of that off, off, off dribble. 
creation ability, both outside and inside the arc, which, again, for a team that has kind of been a, a, a bogged down offense to say, you know, this is a team that over the past couple of weeks has been, I believe, dead last in three-pointers taken. Uh, Tarian Prince has kind of helped this team stay afloat there uh, as far as just someone who's not afraid to, you know, put him up and, you know, you also believe can make him as well when he takes him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that all makes sense. Um, I mean, I was just wondering if it was, um, you know, with kind of his, his reputation being like slightly depleted with his time time with the Nets, I was a little shocked to see him in the starting lineup. But uh, kind, of, kind of like you said, he does at the at the very least provide a bit more size than the two guys I had mentioned before in uh, Shetty and Windler, um, while also still having true like wing skills to throw up the three. Um Definitely in that second game, I know I was particularly um, frustrated a couple of times where he where he hit a, a few threes in Chris Middleton's face. That I, yeah. I thought Chris, Chris could have maybe maybe stuck a little closer to him and um, contested it a little better. But um, but yeah, other than that, um, so as of now, you guys still have uh, Javale Drummond and. Uh, JaVale, Drummond, and now Jarrett Allen. And then you'll be having a Kevin Love coming back as well, Larry Nance. You guys have quite the deep front court, lo- front court rotation um, even before this trade. Um, I know this might be putting you uh, slightly on the spot, but are there any uh, particular teams or um, players that you think that you'd like to see your guys target? I don't know if maybe you could... Um, if you want the Cavs to get a little more wing depth, um, where do you, where do you think the Cavs should go as far as uh, you know maybe consolidating some of their front court depth uh, and then transitioning that more so towards the wing in a trade? Or are you or are you pretty comfortable with the Cavs roster right now? Um, I would say that's, I, yeah, would say, I would say right now I'm pretty comfortable with things are at. I mean, obviously this team is is struggling right now, and February is only probably. The games aren't going to get any easier. We have a really, really tough schedule here coming up against some really, really good teams, and it's going to test this team. And to be fair, they might just not be ready to, you know, truly compete for the playoffs. And that's okay. This team is still young. They're still in that rebuilding phase. They've been impressive up to this point. I definitely do think that there are trades on the way for this team. As far as particular targets, I mean, there are so many different ways that they could go. I'm not going to, you know, talk about anyone specifically, but. I think that JaVale is definitely someone who we'll probably see get offloaded. Um, I, I think a team like the Nets makes a lot of sense just because they have the disabled player exception for Spencer Dinwiddie uh, that JaVale can fit into. I think the Heat are kind of in a similar position now that they need a backup center with Myers Leonard out. Uh, they also have a couple exceptions that they could fit him into where they wouldn't even have to send back a player to Cleveland. So I think it's just about... If, if you're going to, you know, start unloading some pieces here, and again, I don't see really any real unloading pieces other than you know, uh, JaVale McGee. Uh, if you can get a deal done for Kevin Love, obviously you do it. Uh, there's the, the whole, you know, thing there is can you get an asset for Kevin Love? If so, great, take it. But it doesn't really seem like that's the case right now. Teams really aren't interested in taking on the salary. And then for Drummond, uh, it just kind of depends on the situation. Um, you know, if you aren't competing, it probably makes more sense to unload him for, again, you know, whatever assets you can get. I don't think that there's anything that this team really needs to target right now to round out their roster. Uh, maybe if there's, if a guy like, you know, John Collins or Marvin Bagley, you know, becomes like 
publicly available, like, hey, you know, the Hawks or the, the Kings want to trade this guy, that's maybe someone you could look at. But I don't think just looking in general, like, there's a glaring hole on this roster right now. It's just kind of take the upgrades where you can get them, you know, keep piling up assets. But one guy I want to talk about is, you know, Isaac Okoro, who is in a little bit of a slump right now in general. Um, you know, hasn't been lighting the world on fire from deep. But overall, I thought it was played very well. Um, he, he obviously he didn't shoot the ball well in the last game. In the first game, I thought he had one of his better games of the season. Ended up with, with 10 points, uh, shot 50% from the field, 2 for 5 from 3, uh, 3 rebounds, 2 steals, 2 blocks. Just in, in getting to see him play, you know, for an extended period of time now, and having to guard a guy like like Giannis and Stretches and Chris Middleton, what do you think of, of Isaac so far from what you've seen of him? Um, I think Isaac seems to be exactly uh, kind of like the like the better scenario of what we could have could have expected of him coming out of the draft. I know I was uh, super excited uh, for you guys when he was able to fall to you when the particularly the Bulls went and got Patrick Williams. Although that's worked out uh, better for them than I could have imagined. Um, uh, Isaac Okoro, um, at first glance, seems like someone that um, I mean still has still has a uh, a ways to go on offense still might be a little better there than, than we would have even expected uh, out of college. But um, still he's, he's, a, he's uh, been an incredible defender. Uh, he was, I think I noticed in one of the games too, um, something that Bucks fans uh, are enjoying getting to live is the Drew Holiday experience and uh, just how tough and like built he is. And he can seemingly move around anybody he wants, but on the flip side, I think Okoro was, um, or rather Holiday was going out of Okoro and, and Okoro uh, forced Hol- Holiday to kind of to bring back his dribble uh, back towards the three-point line, wasn't able to shove him underneath the basket quite as much. So I think that play right there and whatever part of the two contests that was kind of shows, uh, I mean, how amazing Okoro could be on the defensive end with, of course, uh, you know, all the time that he still has left in doing so. Yeah, still, still plenty of time to develop, sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, One exactly. One more guy I want to look at uh, for the Bucks here. Uh, just kind of, I mean, we kind of went away for there for to talk about, you know, some wings for a second. But is Brooke Lopez somebody who's concerned you at all for this team? Uh, you know, obviously still does a lot of things well. Uh, is, is still a very good rim protector. Rim protector. Has still finishing abilities around the rim, uh, still kind of just, you know, you, you can tell that the shooting touch is still there for him, but it seems like it's kind of fallen off for him from three a little bit as of late and in, in, in the last season as well. Uh, in these two games, when it combined one for eight from three, uh, it, is that something that concerns you at all? Just kind of with the overall spacing on the floor with Giannis. And I mean, I obviously in the play in the, in the regular season, that's not something that is too much of a concern, but when when you have the floor kind of clogged up, it seems like in the playoffs, that's where Giannis's kind of limitations start to shine. Is when you have one of those you know big centers in the paint who isn't exactly you know drawing out defenders to the three point line. Um, is Brook Lopez somebody who you think the three pot the three point shot will recover with, or do you think it just kind of he kind of had a hot shooting start in Milwaukee? What what do you see there? Um. So- so I think that Brooke could definitely be better behind the three-point line. Um, and, you know, at first thought, I kind of was like, 
man, I really haven't really paid a ton of attention to Brooks' progress or regression on offense much because we we kind of get it from Giannis, Chris, and Drew. So we don't really need a ton of contributions from the offensive end from Brook. It's more of kind of like you mentioned with the spacing, and that allows for those guys to excel, especially Giannis and having a center um, that can not only do his job in protecting the rim just about as good as anyone else in the association can, but um, then on the flip side on offense, uh, spread the floor. I mean, um, I know I've tried to articulate before kind of the the rarity of Brook Lopez and how the center position is, you know, kind of one of the most replaceable positions in the NBA, but at the same time, some of the most rare skill sets are that of like a center who can who can protect the rim but also spread the floor. And I think that's imperative next to a guy like Giannis. So all that said, um, you know, I guess my fear is that he'll, that he'll continue to shoot so poorly, kind of like he did for most of the regular season last year until he got into the bubble that, you know, at a certain point, maybe, maybe teams will start to, you know, not respect his spacing as much. Maybe that's already happened to an extent that I haven't noticed, but just because they have to pick their poison. But then again, in the playoffs, Brooke was kind of one of our most uh, consistent guys on offense. So I'm hopeful that that he may enter these extended slumps, but he will, um, you know, he will revert back to the mean and improve. So I'm not particularly concerned to summarize that all up. Looking at it, I guess we can talk about, you know, how it affects Giannis. I, I would say that Giannis is somebody who in these two games played, you know, exactly like you would expect him. Uh, you know, had 33 points in the first game along with 12 rebounds, four assists, four steals, or four blocks, rather. Um, in the second game, 24-11 and five. <laughs> Giannis, I think, still – I'm not sure that I'm, I'm, you know, anywhere close to buying the jump shot with him. I, when I say that, I mean like the three ball. Uh, it, it seems like it, it's just kind of weird with him in my eyes because most of the time with you know guys kind of you know starting to take three point shoot shots more often, it's a lot of catch and shoot, um, and you know maybe shots in the corner or just you know getting open looks when you can take them. With Giannis, and obviously it's kind of a different case because he just has the ball in his hands so much. It seems like every single three-point shot that he takes is a pull-up from the top of the key. Uh, and that's, you know, sometimes it's a little bit more contested than others. But it just I, I don't think that he's really at the point where even now as he's, you know, been taking him for a little while, it's not at the point where teams really have to respect him from out there. Uh, he went one for three in the first game, one for four in the second. One area, though, that I think he should be kind of trying to look to improve more in, and I think we saw a couple of flashes in it in this series – is the little bit of the mid-range game that he, you know, has shown some capability of. I think it was in the first game where he was driving right and pulled up, I believe, just outside of the paint and took one of just those kind of pull-up mid-range shots and made it. And I think that's more so where it would benefit him to try to develop his game right now other than trying to go for the three ball right away. I feel like he's just kind of skipping that middle step. Uh, I, but I think... If, even if Giannis was able to to get that kind of semi-consistent mid-range pull-up to fall, you know, when defenses are really packing the paint against him, that, I believe, could really be a more realistic option for him to kind of unlock his offensive game 
more so than trying to develop a three right now. Hey everyone, the NBA season is underway and there is no better way to celebrate than with Thrive Fantasy, the daily fantasy sports app for player props. They have eliminated the need to do countless hours of research because they only ask you about the top tier athletes in each sport. All you have to do is pick five out of the 10 player prop options to build your lineup. Each prop has a fantasy point of total associated with the over or under based on its likelihood to occur. The more points a selection is worth, the riskier it is. Rack up the most points to win a portion of the prize pool. Thrive has awarded over $2 million in prizes since launching in 2018 and will be awarding thousands more this NBA season. So download the Thrive Fantasy app today or visit thrivefantasy.com to get started. Use the promo code KLOVE, that's K-L-O-V-E, like Kevin Love, when you sign up and you will receive an instant deposit match up to $50 on your first deposit of $20 or more. Sign up and prop up today. Yeah, you, you hit the nail right on the head there. Um, I know there was this huge fasc- fascination uh, when Giannis was like selling to stardom in his career where um, people are like, wow, if this guy can knock down a three, like he'll be totally unstoppable. And be that as it may, if I mean, if you watch like one game, you'll see that like he's not anywhere close to reaching that unstoppable point if if the three-pointer is part of that equation. And uh, like you said, too, it's kind of skipping a step when he still kind of doesn't have like a real like go-to shot, but I did like um, what he showed us in this game and be- being a little more creative with some post moves and uh, getting getting to his spots. And also, uh, I don't think I've even mentioned this on the podcast, but it's been a talking point for the past uh couple weeks especially but all season and like an adjustment that Bud has made was was um was putting someone down in the dunker spot so then that will allow um well I guess that will force the defense um to to pull someone back from that wall and then give Giannis a a little bit more of a lane to drive to and get to his spot so I I think yeah if Giannis focuses more on on mastering uh other other parts of the floor before the three point line that would definitely help, uh, definitely help his case on offense. Um, but he's definitely done pretty well on the defensive end too. Obviously, um, he had a, a couple highlight blocks there in that second game. He had he had those two blocks in that one possession. I think it was against uh, Drummond and then Sexton. Um. But at the same time, uh, I think the last time the Bucks played the Cavs, um, the Bucks entered the game with the number one offensive rating, but the Cavs entered it with the number one defensive rating. I don't know where I don't know where the Bucks and Cavs fall there at the moment. I know at least for number of games after that, the Bucks were still at that number one spot in offense, but uh, the Cavs are still um, maybe not as much on the offensive end, but. Um, Especially compared to last seasons, the Cavs are extremely improved on the defensive end. Um, I know Larry Nance Jr. has has a lot to do with that, but at the same time, he's been on the team for some time. I know there was a there's there's a defensive player of the year voter who who voted uh, Andre Drummond as defensive player of the year last year. Um, <laughs> yes, there I was. Think, I think I think you were the one to point that out to me actually, and <laughs> and just how foolish that was. So I don't. So I don't know exactly. Defensive rebounding if, if, ability does not equal overall defense. I'll just say that. Yeah, yeah. It's not. 
it's not quite that that linear of an equation there. But so I don't well, know if I you can point to a singular was, guy. Was, oh yeah, I was gonna say I think that you know you look at Larry and obviously he's been a huge part of it. And I think another thing that you have to look at when you're talking about the Cavaliers' defense is just the fact that they've had a full off season and an extended off season under JB Bickerstaff now as compared to John Beeline. I think that that has changed things a lot as well. Um, bringing in a defensive-minded forward in Isaac Okoro. Um, and Andre Drummond has, for the most part the season, been locked in on defense as well. I think he has been, obviously not an all-defense candidate, but he's been a plus and a real rim protector for this team, just a real paint protector in general. And then, you know, for the first chunk of the season there, it was JaVale McGee coming off and kind of providing the same presence. Now it's Jared Allen doing the same thing. Uh, when Dylan Windler has been in there, I thought he's been pretty good on defense. Um, you know, Garland and Sexton aren't particularly positives there, but they have both improved a ton as well. So I think overall it's it's not exactly just one guy. And I think Kevin Love being out, while it has hurt the offense quite a bit, is also, you know, one thing you can look to as far as just having a more athletic guy at that position who can maybe defend a little bit more than him at this point. So yeah, I think overall the defense is fallen off a little bit from that number one status. Uh, and obviously two games where you're giving up, you know, this many points against the Bucks is going to hurt that as well. And they have, again, a tough schedule coming up and where there's going to be some teams that, you know, potentially do the same thing that the Bucks have done to them here, where that, that defensive rating continues to drop. But, um, yeah, it's it's definitely been very, very, very encouraging to see this whole team kind of buy in on that end after having – you know, some historically bad nights or some historically bad years on defense in years prior. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, I can't say that I watched like a ton of Cavs games before, but um, I know in like from uh, like different NBA analysts that I listen to on podcasts, they've, they've like been in, been as strong as saying that like, that like the Cavs, teams of the past couple of seasons may have been the worst defensive teams that like they've ever seen. Yes. Uh, maybe even they have some stats to back that up. I don't have those, but yeah, for you guys to have totally turned that around this season is outstanding. And, and yeah, it's it funny. Cause I was, I was trying to look at the roster. Like, um, of course I want to just be able to have it stick out to me right there with a single player. But I guess, I guess it maybe just has more to do with these guys having, Having uh having an extended off season together, obviously being a younger team, uh, getting some more time to learn NBA defenses and and yeah, of course JB Bickerstaff, I'm sure he has a lot to do with with that as well. Um, I think yeah. if, uh like entering uh, this first game here to uh, the broadcast that I was listening to, I forget I was <laughs> jumping around on streams, but the t- the top two teams entering, um. This first back-to-back game in opponent field goal percentage at the rim, um, that was the Cavs at number one and the Bucks at number two. So, and now getting getting Jer- Jared Allen too. The more minutes he gets, I think I think that'll help definitely help your guys's case there, um, as well. Um, and then be that as it may, with the with the opponent of field goal percentage too, the Bucks actually ended up with the most points in the paint that they've had in. Nearly two years to date since uh, a Dallas Mavericks contest on uh, February eighth, twenty nineteen, where they had eighty points in the paint. So again, may- maybe maybe a point where the Cavs numbers may go down, but um, I mean, I think you'd agree that that it is kind of a bit of apples and oranges when com- 
uh, yeah, apples to oranges rather when comparing the <laughs> Bucks to the Cavs. So, I mean, whatever whatever point you guys uh, do have those, those amazing defensive numbers, even if they don't quite last the entire season, I think it's a huge win for you guys uh, in addition to that trade. So, I'd definitely be encouraged if I were if I were you or any of your listeners out there. Yeah, and I think, like you said, there are, there are plenty of reasons to be encouraged. Um, looking at the the backcourt for the Cavs here, before we kind of finish up with you know some more Bucks guys, what have you thought of you know just obviously I, I'm again you're you're not a guy who watches every Cavs game, and I, I get that, but I'm, you've you've watched you know the games against the Cavs in the past. Seeing a guy like Colin Sexton and a guy like Darius Garland in years past compared to the way that they're playing this year. Uh, both of them, I mean, Darius in particular has completely transformed his game from his rookie season. Uh, Colin Sexton has, you know, made a lot of progression as well. Uh, is there anything that stood out to you from from these two guys that is just noticeably different from, you know, the last time you've seen them, be it last season or, you know, even, you know, early early in this year, just, you know, some, some new developments in their game? Um, I think particularly, I'll admit, I didn't see, I didn't see a ton of, I guess I maybe would have expected more from Sexton in these past two games compared to his near, near if not um, definitive all-star status on the year. But I've still seen, seen some moments from him with um, obviously in that, in that first, was it, I think they, did they play the Nets twice recently? Yes. Yes. Maybe. They played him but in uh, James Harden's, well, it, it was the first game that uh, James Harden, Ky- KD and Kyrie all played together. Yeah. And, um, at least in one game against the Nets, was that he might have had a career high or near a career he had, high. Yeah, he, he had, I believe, 42 or 40. I think it was 42 points uh, and beat them in double overtime and then came out the next night and beat them again. Well, I think it was two nights later, but yeah, ended up beating him again. And that was a time where he was red hot. Um, he did score below his average in both of these games, put up 19 points, four assists in the first game. Uh, I believe 17 points, maybe. Yeah, 17 in the second game along with three reruns, three assists. Uh, did have a steal in that second game as well. But um, one area that I think in particular, I think even with the scoring not 100% being there in this game, was, again, not only the defensive you know progression that I think we've seen, just as far as awareness and not dying on ball screens as much and you know whatever else. But the playmaking, again, it, it wasn't you know all too evident in the numbers of these two games. Uh, four assists and three is you know nothing to write home about. But I think just watching him play on the floor, you can see him making a lot more of the right reads. Um, there are some more impressive passes, I believe, that you know in years past we just would not see him make. Uh, and he still misses some obvious ones, but that's one area in particular that I look at, even in a game like this where he's maybe not you know shooting the ball as well as normal, that you can really point at and say that that's a big development in what he's done. Yeah, I remember that being a huge knock on him early on is just like his incredibly low like assist numbers in like his his uh, first and second seasons. But at the same time, I think people came to his defense and that like obviously those uh, first two those first two seasons in his career, he didn't have a ton of talent next to him. So um, but it's definitely great to see some improvement on that and where there was room for it to begin with for Sexton. Darius Garland, I was really impressed with how with how patient patient he was when driving to the lane and and uh, you know finding Drummond in the right spots. I know Drummond he had 
in this second game, he had three dunks in the third quarter alone. Two of them came um, off of Garland, Garland assists. So, um, yeah, I think I think having Darius Garland there to be, I guess, um, I guess he he and Sexton both can kind of be um, hybrids there, sort of as like combo guards, I guess. Darius maybe that, more of a true Darius point guard. Is- yeah, I was going to yeah. say that exactly, is that I think Darius is kind of proving that he can really kind of take over that primary facilitator role in an offense. Yeah, and he was, I don't I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just Cleveland and people getting used to having LeBron on your guys' side, but, but I thought it was uh, crazy how quick everyone else around the league was to give up on these guys. Even, even Garland, I mean, this is, this is the, guy, the guy's second season and he had limited performances in college too. And people were, were like, all right, you gotta, you gotta get rid of this guy. But I mean, yeah, shoot, in his second season, he's, it seems like he's uh, just about as improved as any sophomore right now. Yeah. And just, again, the, the numbers don't always reflect everything, but just it, just watching him move on the floor, he just looks so much more comfortable. He looks so much more athletic and explosive and shifty. So, yeah, definitely a, a ton, a ton of just overall improvements with him. Uh, I want to go down some of uh, Milwaukee's bench pieces because obviously uh, that's a, a, I won't say a big concern, but obviously when you make a trade for a guy like, like Drew Holiday, you have to sacrifice some depth. Um, and then obviously your hard cap, so that kind of limited you as well with some of the signings that you made. I believe um, uh, DJ Augustine in particular. But what have you thought of guys like DJ Augustine? And I'll, I'll talk about Bryn Forbes and DJ Augustine in particular. Um, first of all, <laughs> what a tale of two games from Bryn Forbes. Uh, wasn't terrible in the first game. Uh, got off to a really rough start. I believe airballed a three before missing a couple more. Um, or after missing a couple of shots and then, you know, airballed the third or whatever it may be. But, you know, came out in the second game and shot six for six from three and just lit it up. Those were his only 18 points. But, you know, I just, just showed, you know, the, the reason for signing a guy like that. And obviously he, you know, is inconsistent at times. But, you know, you obviously know what he's going to bring. He's a shooter. My concerns with, with him and a guy like DJ Augustine, who I also think has been fine. I don't know if he's been quite what he was in Orlando the past couple years. But my Mm-mm, big concern quite, here but... my big concern here comes with what you're gonna get from guys like this in the playoffs. Uh, I think it's a lot easier to scheme for guys like Bryn Forbes in the playoffs who don't really have you know any other real trait other than just the, you know, the pure knockdown shooting. Uh, and obviously that can be a, a big asset just in spacing alone. But when you have guys like that who are small guards, and I guess we can say the same thing about, you know, a pairing like Garland and Sexton, but just look focusing on these guys in particular, uh, small guards who aren't, you know, particularly athletic. Uh, do you think that there are going to be concerns as far as the Bucks guard rotation going into the playoffs this season? Uh, I could definitely see see there being concerns, especially with DJ Augustine not being quite the guy that we saw in Orlando. I thought that was, I thought he was going to be, uh, instead of Bobby, I thought he was going to be our clear, like, number one most important guy off the bench, considering he was a starter last year. I mean, <laughs> be it obviously not, like, one of the best starting point guards or even in, like, the top half of starters last season, but still, starting for, for a playoff team. And then being our backup point guard, I thought was enormous. I mean, he's still, I mean, he can still run a pick and roll and 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 uh, and find our guys. And 
I still trust him to knock down uh, the three ball, even if he isn't doing it uh, quite as well from catch and shoot as last season. Um, but yeah, I think him, I mean, he, he maybe won't be able to put up the same amount of minutes in a playoff game as a regular season, but that's kind of what, what, what we would expect anyhow. Um, and, and I still trust him to at least be able to create for others, uh, even if his shot isn't going down. So I like that versatility in his offense and, uh, Bryn Forbes, um, obviously not, he kind of has to play alongside another guard. So especially his size would be, um, I could see that being an issue defensively in the playoffs, but I think, I think his three point shooting, shooting is a bit more versatile, at least than a Pat Connaughton and that he can, he's, he's shown, uh, he's shown the willingness and well, more so just the ability to come off of, come, come off of screens and not just stand and wait for for guys like Chris or Giannis to to find him in the right spots so um yeah I think yeah I I think I think there could be bench minutes still for for Bryn but at the same time if his shot isn't going down um even though he can hit the shot in a variety of fashions um he really doesn't doesn't provide much more on the defensive end so um I guess still at the end of the day, I would trust DJ more than Bryn in a playoff series. I hope our rotation shortens a bit by then, but uh, I could see I could see both of them providing something once we get to the playoffs. One more question, just about the Bucks uh, bench. Um, I think it was kind of more Thanasis minutes than Tory Craig minutes to start. Obviously, in these two games, that wasn't the case. Uh, Tory Craig has kind of taken over that role. I think deservingly so. Um, I think he's just flat out a better player. And, you know, Thanasis is, you know, obviously, you know, an, an elite athlete and is long and has those defensive instincts. But I just think, you know, that's something that Torrey Craig has as well. Um, he's not an elite one-on-one shutdown guy, but he's just so – he's so impactful um, in help defense. Uh, through these couple games, you know, we saw him get a couple of strips – uh, on, I believe there was one particular that I remember on, on Colin where Colin was just kind of driving in. Uh, Tory just kind of came over and helped and just took the ball away from him. Uh, I think he's proven, you know, also in this in this series uh, that he is just, you know, at that kind of small forward position when he plays there is such an impactful rebounder too. Uh, he had eight boards in the first game, uh, three of which were offensive. Uh, didn't make as big of an impact in that second game, only had two. But either way, it just kind of shows you that he's capable of doing that. Um, do you think that Tory Craig is the answer at that kind of you know forward three four position over Athanasis Anadokounmpo? Yeah, I think definitely comparing him to Thanasis, I would, uh, t- you know, uh, every day of the week I'd rather have Tory Craig out there besides Thanasis, even though Thanasis did. Um, Show show some more signs than I would have expected in in the time that he did play. I know Bucks fans had thought. I wonder if this was like a was like a blow the table like handshake deal that like hey you got to get my brother some minutes <laughs> that coming from Giannis when he signed that massive extension. Um, of course, Bud Bud was just saying um, that that Thanasis was still still got a couple more games um, in the rotation even after uh, Craig got back just because of. Uh, just because of continuity, continuity, if I'm saying that correctly, but, uh, but yeah, I think Tori would definitely be um, still kind of our, you know, 
I would say I would. I I guess he would be like our fourth bench guy almost at this point. I'm. I did expect a little more from him on offense. He kind of. You know, that's never really been his strength. I think if you're yeah. looking at, it, I was gonna say, looking at a guy like Tory Craig, um, the, the obvious, obviously the shooting is is not his mo. That's never really been his mo. I think what made him more of an impactful offensive player in in Denver is obviously he's somebody who is a good cutter and can finish you know strong around the rim, but playing with a guy like Nikola Jokic. Uh, who you know can be on the elbow finding those cutters all day long one of the best passing big men if not the best passing big men of all time um that was something that you know you can look at and having that ability you know to pass and find open cutters in a way that frankly i just don't know that milwaukee has i don't think they do have i mean you, you have guys who can pass obviously and Holiday and DiVincenzo and Giannis and, and Middleton, those are all capable playmakers, but you don't have that guy like you have in uh, Jokic, who is, you know, one of the all-time playmakers. So overall, yeah, I mean, the offense is overwhelming or underwhelming rather, but um, I, I think part of that is just not being in a system that plays to his strengths as much. And it's not like he's just an absolute zero, but would you agree? I would say he's at least a shooting upgrade over you know, Thanasis, even if that's not saying a whole lot. Yeah, I at least trust Tory Craig to hit the rim if he if he jacks up a shot. So that <laughs> that helps. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, your your point there was exactly what I was thinking when I was kind of when I was contemplating why I was why I was disappointed in uh, in Tory Craig on the offensive end. And yeah, I mean, kind of one of those first thoughts you have to have is like, well, he's not playing next to Nikola Jokic. And and our offense doesn't really have well yeah definitely compared to the Nuggets not nearly as as much movement out there and when Tory Craig's kind of uh, I mean the best case scenario for him him on on uh, offense is for him to you know to to get to get to a spot underneath, underneath the basket early or or catch the defense sleeping and you know get the ball after a cut and be right right there out of the basket and use his athleticism. Or find himself wide open uh, from three, but I mean that might be ideal for everybody. And those opportunities just are few and further between on this Bucks offense. Uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes it does uh, run a bit stagnant, and then we're just we just wait for one of our big three guys to create for themselves. But, um, but yeah, at the very least, he is he's more so known for that defensive end. So, so I definitely. Um, I definitely still am happy to have him on our side, especially losing Wesley Matthews over the offseason. Uh, Justin, I did want to get um, your thoughts here, particularly on on uh, the, the all-star chances for Colin Sexton. I mean, the guy's averaging, what, like 24 points per game this season. You guys are definitely improved from last season, although looking at the standings now after these two games, it looks like you guys... Um, are firmly in that in that tenth spot, so hopefully that doesn't that doesn't affect his chances too much. Uh, you guys are still uh, same amount of games back from the from the number one seed as the Bulls are, where uh, Zach Levine certainly is uh, making a huge case for himself to be an All Star, even though uh, it's on a it's on a losing team. Um, I don't know if you've necessarily narrowed down all of your all of your All Stars at, at this point, um, but. 
is there is there some sort of sentiment at all at all out there uh, from Cavs fans on um, how high of hopes they have for Sexton making his first All Star appearance this year? Well, I think that the hope is real. Uh, I think uh, obviously it's it's nothing. It's not you know a Giannis or a Chris Middleton. It's def- It's certainly not a lock. But uh, you know we're we're pushing for it. You know everyone is making sure to to get their Colin Sexton you know fan votes in. Uh, we all want it, and he, he's you know whether he gets it or not, I think he is at least deserving to be where he is right now in the position. Uh, it, it is a tough race out east at the guard spot, and having a guy like James Harden coming over only makes it more difficult. Uh, you, you look at you know guys in front of him. I think. Kyrie and James, obviously. I think Beal, obviously. Jalen Brown, obviously, as well. So that's four guys. Um, you have a 12-man roster. Uh, we'll say that no more than, what would it be, seven of those guys could be guards. So that's four guys right there. Looking past that, you have Trey Young and Ben Simmons and Zach Levine and Malcolm Brogdon and Drew Holiday and Russell Westbrook, along with Colin Saxon. And I think... You know, not putting any of those guys in any particular order. I think Colin is right in that mix. But, you know, you can only have, you know, two or three of them making the team. So I think it will be uh, very, very interesting. Uh, I think you can look at a guy like Russell Westbrook is probably not going to make it this year. Um, Malcolm Brogdon probably isn't going to make it either. And obviously there's still time uh, to, you know, kind of, you know, shape out how this is going to play out before the All-Star game. But um, I, I think that, yeah, the, the belief that it can happen is is very, very real at this point. Yeah, I kind of so I kind of put out my list of like 12 guys out there that that I guess as of now, what I have written down on my paper, although I've, I've admittedly changed it even right up to this podcast. I kind of had I had Sexton, unfortunately, like just out of the race when you when you. When you when you put everybody down, of course, you added Harden to the mix, and now J- Jalen Brown too, who has taken over in Tatum's a- absence and proving to be a true superstar. I think having a couple of those added names really didn't help Sexton at all, unfortunately. Um, but without further ado, my list: um, I have Embiid, Simmons, Giannis, Middleton, uh, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Durant, Harden, Kyrie. Uh, I had some bonus on there. To me, it just I think he's felt deserving. Like yeah, I mean the Pacers are in the fifth spot right now. Right now, uh, he and Brogdon are averaging twenty-one and twenty-two points per game, respectively. So, so I could definitely see one of those two guys getting in there, and I think Sabonis already being being an All Star last year helps his case a, a smidge more than Brogdon. Um, then my last two spots there, I think this should be twelve. Will be would go to Trey Young and uh, Zach Levine, averaging twenty-seven points per game. Uh, and even with that, I mean, it's it's just it's so difficult because you're losing off guys like, you know, Nikola Vucevic um, and Bam Adebayo and Julius Randle and, and Gordon Hayward and Jeremy Grant. It's just there are a lot of candidates this year, I feel like. So it, it's it's definitely understandable not to have uh, Colin Saxon in there right now. To be honest, I'm not sure that I have him in one of my spots at the time being. Obviously, I would love to see him get in and I'm going to, you know, Keep voting for him as much as I can, but I think it's it's certainly understandable if you don't. Yeah, I honestly even kind of those names kind of slip my mind. I know because when I when I make my list, and this might be some flawed logic, but but I kind of go down by standings because um, I don't know. I know I know a lot of like coaches voting kind of kind of goes this way where they like to reward 
guys who've been there, but also guys who are winning. So that's why you see a lot of the guys on the on the same teams there that I listed. But um, I don't know. Although, although the Nets well. are only, yeah. yeah, I mean, although the Nets are only in the fourth spot right now, um, just a game ahead of the Pacers. There, it's it's hard to imagine an All Star game with Durant, Harden, with any of those three guys not being a part of the team. Maybe Irv- Irving misses missing those games. I think he's only played sixteen so far. Um, might I think that's him, enough, but at the though. same time, I think that that's yeah. I, I still think that yeah. Kyrie's with this weird shortened it. season, too. I mean, yeah. plenty of guys are missing games. I don't know how much the sample really matters, like you were saying. So yeah, I think it'd be tough, and I think if Sexton gets in there, it may have to uh, be uh, unfortunate as it may be for others. Maybe maybe a, a couple injury replacements necessary. I know that's how um, a lot of these guys, similar to. Um, I, th- I think like when I mean, D'Angelo Devin Russell Booker had his one-time All-Star, you know. That's how, yeah, D'Angelo Russell, Devin Booker this past season. So, yeah, they're, they're, and that's a that's a good point. And if, honestly, you know, there's been a lot of talk about guys, you know, not being so happy to play in it. You know, Darren Fox has been vocal. LeBron has been vocal. We may see guys, you know, want to sit out. So, I think that there could definitely, there's at least a possibility that we see some more uh, All-Star injury replacements this year than normal. And if that's the case, then I think death. Sexton is definitely gets in if as long as those replacements are in the East, I think he's one of the first one or two guys to come off and come off that you know just missed it list and be on as an injury replacement. Yeah, yeah, and and you definitely like to see. I know people have mentioned before, like why don't we just extend these rosters a little bit to to get some of these more deserving guys out there? I know. Um, I mean. I know all star all star appearances definitely um, weigh in heavily in, in terms of like a guy's legacy and Hall of Fame status, um, and maybe maybe that might that might skew some of the you know some of the returns when looking at these guys' legacies and their and their Hall of Fame cases. But but I don't know. I, I like to I like to reward uh, guys more so than not. Uh, but also, you, you you mentioned it too there with the fact that this all-star game is actually even happening at this point too is is uh is kind of wild i'm not sure how you feel about <laughs> yeah, it but I'm, uh, I'm not super thrilled to have it this year i don't really see the point but yeah it 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 seems it seems pretty foolish considering um i mean obviously people are being vaccinated at this point with covid-19 but but last i heard it was still around 1% and it isn't any of these guys and I mean a part of that trade with Jared Allen and uh well yeah it, in your guys case Jared Jared Allen and Torian Prince um there was Karis LeVert going obviously from the Nets to the Pacers and they and they discovered that he had um what was it like like a it was, cancerous, it was a, a like, mass tumor? on his kidneys I believe that they found was cancerous yes yeah exactly so um I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying that's the case for anybody, but I guess I guess it could be anybody, and and bringing all these guys together from different locations in a time like this, I think, is just just asinine. Yeah, but um. I just I feel like it's just it's such a weekend for the fans, you know, as well. That's kind of where I get into it. It's it's just, it's supposed to be the the all star environment, and you know, just having a packed building and it's just, it's putting on a show for, you know, the, the fans and attendance more than anything. And if you can't have that, it's like, you know, what are we, what are we doing here? That's kind of how I view it. And then, you know, I, I understand a lot of the protocols that they have in place, you know, like post game 
Um, it's kind of silly at times, but I, I understand at least the logic behind like not having guys high five, you know, after games and all of that. But they can go and hang out together on All Star Weekend, and you know, go out and bring everyone from everywhere and have them play together, and then. You know, if, if one of those guys is positive, then have them bring it back to their teams. And it, it's just, it, it seems like it has a lot of potential to become a mess. But, you know, at the end of the day, things should work out. You know, I mean, the league will have protocols in place. Um, I am slightly concerned, but not overly concerned um, that this thing could potentially go a little haywire. But uh, just on the subject of All-Stars, I think, you know, whether you play the game or not, having at least the recognition is important. Do you think that Drew Holiday has any chance at making an all-star uh, appearance this year? I I don't really think so. Um, I mean, I think having having three all-stars is, is such, such a luxury, and maybe I shouldn't be doing the same kind of calculation like I do, maybe getting a little too cute with it. Um, obviously, you understand those three Nets guys making it, but um, I mean, I think Drew, Drew's averaging, like, what, like maybe 17 points per game, and I think that's that's a lot of what, what people look at more than anything is scoring and an excitement excitement in that way um i mean you you get guys like rudy rudy gobert in it but uh he he gets a little bit more recognition on the defensive end even more so than a than a drew holiday considering um i mean rudy gobert's defense is definitely a lot more a lot more noticeable and he's gotten more of the accolades but yeah i i definitely don't quite see uh drew holiday getting in and i think I, I mean, I definitely think Chris Middleton will get in there. I don't think that I'm not really concerned at all that he won't. But when you do look at those scoring numbers again there, it's kind of like, okay, on my list here, he's he's like firmly with like the lowest scoring averages out of everybody here. And there's guys above him, including a Colin Sexton who, who may not make it. And it's not just Sexton too, who would be out then. And if we go along uh, my logic here, but. I, I'm pretty confident that it'll end up being uh, Giannis and Middleton, and that'll probably be it for the Milwaukee Bucks. That's that's fair. I'm, I'm probably in agreement with you there. Um, I just kind of want to talk about one thing, just a little bit of Cavs-related news. Uh, we were talking a little bit about before we recorded, but uh, Matthew Delvadova, uh, who, funny enough, is relevant to not only Cavs fans but Bucks fans as well. You remember the name Matthew Delvadova, of course. Oh, yeah. uh, has not played the entire season up to this point, for those who don't know. Uh, he suffered a concussion in the first preseason game this year and uh, is apparently still dealing with symptoms from that whenever he's tried to ramp up, you know, his recovery and his workouts. Uh, there were some reports that maybe he would be forced to retire. I think there were some guys at the Athletic, maybe Joe Varden. I'm not 100% sure on that. But Del- Matthew Delvadova, after, you know, kind of having these reports out there that maybe he would be looking to retire and just wouldn't be capable of coming back, uh, did come on Twitter and say that, you know, retiring is absolutely not on his mind um, he's, you know, focused on coming back this season and helping the Cavaliers play. Um, you know, he still wants to play with Team Australia in the Olympics as well. Um, so it seems like, you know, it was kind of concerning there for a minute, but it seems like, you know, having Matthew here saying that, you know, coming straight from the source essentially saying that, yeah, 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 I still want to play this season. You know, I'm still working to come back is some encouraging news. So, you know, kind of a couple updates since the last time I've recorded, you know, my own, you know, just so Cav Central pod. But um, I guess on the subject of Delhi, just kind of taking a trip down memory lane, uh, obviously, I think <laughs> as far as just, you know, how the how the fan bases view him, uh, Cavalier fans have more fond memories of Matthew Delvadova than Bucks fans. 
But are there any moments in mind that stick out to you as uh, some Milwaukee highlights for Matthew Delvadova? Um, you know, not a ton of highlights coming to mind, of course, with Matthew Della Vadova, Um, But there's one that is very on brand for him that I think Cavs would agree with was, um, I mean, I don't even remember the circumstances, but I do remember a play in which Delhi, uh stole an inbound right right at the end of a quarter and then and then was able to, to toss up a um, probably not so cute shot up up there and score with only seconds remaining on the clock so i think that one memory just off of the top of my head there adele i think uh pretty accurately uh rep- represents uh matthew delavadova's career with both the milwaukee bucks and the cleveland cavaliers and i and i definitely hope that that he that he's able to return we had discussed that this was actually news to me that all that that this talk was even happening. Um, obviously, I'm not as close to 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 the Cavs and not so much Delhi anymore. So um, I didn't even I didn't even realize that that he missed all this time. And then you told me that that it was because of a concussion. And you know, in normal circumstances, that wouldn't be something that would keep guys out for too long. But um, like like you pointed out to me before the podcast, like. Um, I mean, with the way that Delhi plays, you know, thro- throwing his body on the line, it's definitely something that he's dealt with uh, before before this most recent um, entry into the con- con- concussion protocol. And we hear about it more in, you know, sports like football where, um, you know, um, receiving multiple concussions can can really affect uh, not only a guy's career, but also but also his his well-being, physical and mental health. So. Um, I definitely hope that that Delhi is able to make his way back. I also don't want him to, you know, potentially putting his his uh, livelihood in jeopardy at all either if he does make it back out onto the court. Um, but I'm glad that he's indicated that he is still focused on making making a return to the NBA. I don't know if I would really expect him to say say anything otherwise unless he for sure knew that that he wouldn't be coming back but um i guess from now you know everything that we can know so far it looks encouraging for him yeah i think just having the update from him because it seemed like you know if it it seemed like it was probably gonna just be him retiring at that point um before he came out and said it because if he's not able to you know come back and you know work out and you know play through you know get through a practice without experiencing symptoms at that point, you kind of have to believe that maybe, you know, he is just not going to be able to come back at this point. But hearing it straight from him, I think that's just some encouragement uh, that, you know, he's he still is working to come back and that he still believes that he can. So I think that that's, you know, where most of the optimism comes from, for me at least, is just hearing it straight from the source that he's not considering retirement after, you know, some conflicting reports. But um, before, we, before we get out of here um, – I guess I I can give some of my takes on the the Bucks you know rest of the season and where I kind of see them ending up, but beforehand, um, obviously the Cavaliers have a rough schedule here coming up in February. Uh, they're still technically in the playoff race right now. Uh, where do you see them fit ending up at the end of the season? Um, shoot, I mean the Cavaliers uh, be be where they stand right now at the tenth spot, um, and then like you said, they have a they have a bit of a of a you know some tough opponents coming up. Um, I I don't know if I can 
if I can confidently say that that they will jump back into that playoff picture. Uh, of course, we do have the, the play-in game, so if, if they're able to stay where they are so far, um, you know, obviously anything can happen there. So that must be what, what Cavs fans are hopeful for. But um, I think I mean, losing Larry Nance for four to six weeks is definitely going to hurt <laughs> oh, yeah. those hopes. But Yeah, true. But, um, yeah, I think it's it's hard for me to to really display any more more optimism than that um, because of, you know, obviously going into the year, um, just on paper, I, I, I didn't really see the Cavaliers contending for, for, for a playoff spot, but I mean, they could, they could continue to surprise me and others and, and make it, be it in the, be it in the play in play in game, or even if they, if they, uh, if they secure a spot even further down the standings. So, um, I'm not writing them off by any means, but I I I don't think I would put money on them to make a playoff spot. It, there's definitely some concern right now and I think it, as things currently stand it's it's more likely than not that they don't. But uh l- looking at the Bucks at least in my eyes, I see a team that is better than last season. Uh obviously again you sacrifice a little bit of the depth for, you know, some some power up top as some you know, far as star power goes. I do think that Drew Holiday is a team or is a player that helps this team tremendously. Uh, really just kind of fits in perfectly in that starting lineup as someone who can get a little bit of his own shot. Uh, is obviously a fantastic perimeter defender, uh, a great help defender as well. Um, you know, can make plays and at that point guard spot can kind of is a good fact, a good fit next to a guy like DiVincenzo. Uh, can play on the floor with you know any of your guards really, um, be it Augustine, Forbes, DiVincenzo, whoever else, Middleton. I think he's just he's a guy that you can you know seamlessly plug in at anybody next to anybody. Um, I think there's a little bit of concern just again, because again, some of the concerns last season were just that outside of, you know, Chris Middleton, you know, when Giannis was struggling to, you know, get his own shot, there weren't really a whole lot of other options to look at. Um, I think Drew Holiday helps there. He's not, you know, the perfect answer. Uh, He's not the best three point shooter in the world, obviously, but he's, he's, you know, proficient there. So I, I view this team as obviously a real threat to win the East and even to win the finals. I, I think that there's, I, I still don't view them as the favorites uh, to win the title. I think the Lakers still hold that title, but I view them kind of in that second tier along with the Clippers, the Nets, um, and the obviously the Bucks being right there as well. I think that's kind of the second tier. Um, and then below that, you've got the teams like the Nuggets, the Jazz, the Celtics, um, whoever else. But I I think it, it it'll definitely I hope that we get a Bucks Nets matchup this year in the off in the postseason just because I think that's such a clash of styles as far as you know just the way that these two two teams play, um, but I, I think if I had to pick just one today I still probably will pick the Nets to win the East, but um I think I, I'm not I don't say that with any real confidence I think it'll it'll be a great series if those two teams play. Yeah, I don't. I don't blame you at all for for uh, calling the Nets to come out of the East whatsoever. Obviously, I'm going to stick with my guns and stick with the Bucks in that regard. But I mean, having Durant, Kyrie, and Harden uh, all in the same squad, obviously that alone um, has the potential to be the best the best offense of of all time. And I mean, if if those guys get hot enough over a seven game series, I think I think that could be curtains for any team. So. Yeah, definitely 
not too controversial for for you to say that um even to a guy who who loves the bucks so much um but yeah i mean the bucks really especially with this regular season is kind of a lose lose situation obviously i guess one's better than the other but you know um I mean, and even Chris Chris Middleton has said it in statements recently, where where the regular season doesn't really matter all that much at this point. That's not really what they're focused on. It's all preparing for the off season to redeem themselves after last year. Um, and then, um, you know, so what this regular season should really be focused on is is finding finding ways to uh, be more creative and. Uh, have have that adaptability if if they do find themselves in a similar situation uh, as uh, last season against the Heat, and I mean, kind of, you know, we've we've seen some some small um, shifts on that, and of course, throwing throwing someone in the dunkers spot and then taking taking someone away from from that wall against Giannis and forcing them to move that wall a little closer to the basket helps him in that regard. Um, but yeah, and then and then of course just Drew Holiday too, being um, being someone that you trust uh, to get his own basket exponentially more than uh, what Eric Bledsoe showed. I think those are kind of like the two biggest signs. Definitely, definitely Drew Holiday being the biggest change there. Although we definitely, um, I mean, I don't have any qualms with with Eric Bledsoe at all, and I wish it would have worked out a lot better. And I think I think his. Unfortunately, his fortunately his struggles were on the biggest stages too. So I also can't blame people in talking down on him. But you know, I think for us to get Drew Holiday, who's who's who's, uh, I guess a huge step above in a in a totally different tier offensively compared to Eric Bledsoe, while also giving up uh, nothing on the defensive end, is is enormous. And hopefully that that'll that'll pay dividends in the playoffs. But we'll just have to wait and see, I suppose. <laughs> I guess, yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, it's, it's obviously, it should be an upgrade. Um, Eric Bledsoe is someone who, as you've mentioned, have had his flaws exposed on the biggest stage. Um, and I think Drew Holiday is someone who has, can, who has proven to be, you know, more effective in those, in those situations. Um, before we get out of here, Devin, anything else you want to talk about? Anything else you got to um, get off your chest here? You know, I think... I think we're we're pretty much good from from where I stand. I mean, I mean, I'm glad we got to discuss that trade because I know you you and your listen, listeners probably covered it a bit, but but um, I definitely was was interesting to hear about your reactions to that Allen Prince trade, and I'm happy that that especially Prince is showing a lot more than maybe maybe you could have expected, and and um, I was happy I was happy to have an excuse to go through the Eastern Conference All Stars so far with you. Obviously, <laughs> it'll still be tough. Uh, d- tough to get uh colin sexton in there but i'm just happy that he's even in the conversation for you guys at all at this point yeah the fact that he's a legitimate you know candidate is really just i I might not have said that coming into the season so it is exciting to see there but um with that i think we can wrap it up here this has been a knock if you buck cavalier central crossover uh, thank you, Nuck, if you buck listeners for listening. Thank you, Cavalier Central listeners for listening. If you want to find our works, obviously you can listen to Nuck, if you buck Cavalier Central on the Hoopheads Podcast Network. Listen to a bunch of other great shows that we have on the network as well. There's a podcast for you know well over half the teams in the league at this point. 
So uh, if, you, if you want to check out some other team-specific pods, great place to look. Um, with that, again, thank you to all of our listeners for listening. Uh, leave ratings, leave reviews on, on both of the shows. It helps us out a lot. Um, thank you, Devin, for, for doing this with me. And uh, I think we will see you all on the next episodes of our each respective shows. <laughs> and we'll have, to, we'll, have to, we'll have to meet up again sometime soon. So uh, on that note, I think we can, we can leave it there. So see you all later. If you have an existing podcast or are looking to launch your own pod but aren't sure where to start, the team at My Podcast Manager can help. Our podcast team works behind the scenes so you can do what you do best. We'll help you launch your podcast, make it sound great, and free up your time for the more enjoyable parts of podcasting. If you're ready to put your podcast editing, production, and promotion on autopilot with a trusted team of podcasting professionals, visit MyPodcastManager.com to get started. Thank you for listening to Cavalier Central. Be on the lookout for another episode coming soon.